Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 6th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Happy New Year. Uh, we are back. Better than ever, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we got some topics to talk about. Uh, it's been a, about a nine-day layoff since we've last met. Uh, we had uh, the New Year's holiday that kind of... Uh, wrecked our schedule because it fell on was it a new year's eve on a friday i think so and then yeah I, too many family things on through the next couple of days he, Just had, through every, yeah. he had family things i had fish pay-per-views so <laughs> priorities you know exactly right yes um but yeah i think one of the bigger pieces of news that happened since we've been off was we we did our tampa bay talk last time i think we're gonna have to do some more Jonathan Druin uh, officially asking for a trade through his agent. Uh, we'll definitely we're going to lead off with that. Uh, the Fancy Cats, a little bit south in Florida. Uh, any excuse we have to talk about Yamir Yager, we are going to take it. Uh, and Florida just won their tenth game in a row against the Sabers uh, just uh, tonight. So we're we're going to talk a little bit about the Panthers and then. Uh, as always, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins are starting to look pretty good since the coaching change, and uh, certainly a lot to talk about there. So uh, we will lead off. Jonathan Druin, he's kind of been, at least in, I think, both of our opinions, not played nearly enough. And I think it's reached a boiling point to where he's kind of fed up with it. And he, through his agent, Alan Walsh, has no, asked for a there. trade, and apparently they did it low key back in November. But this latest uh, trip back to the AHL uh, was a bridge too far, and something to remember about when these guys get sent down on entry level contracts. He goes from making uh, the rate of nine hundred thousand dollars to seventy two thousand dollars, so it's not just like a pride thing; it's also a money thing so i think he's about had it i personally don't really blame him so where does this I, leave i'm not sure what they kind of expect out of jonathan drew and i mean it's perfectly obvious that there are certain parts of his game that john cooper doesn't like or doesn't trust which is the word that seems to get thrown around a lot at the moment through all of this debacle is that Cooper doesn't trust him. He obviously has his players he trusts, and it's no coincidence that they're the guys that went through the AHL with him have come up, and the triplets have been really, really good for all that sort of stuff. But as a player at any level of sport that you play, and if you've got a coach, all you want the coach to do is put you in a situation to succeed. And I don't think Druin got that opportunity last year. I think at the start of the year they put him in a position to be successful, and he was. He then got injured. He came back into the lineup. And they didn't put him in a situation to succeed. He's got flaws in his game away from the puck. I don't think there's ever been an argument about that. But to put him in a role where that's a requirement of the role that you're putting him in is just asking a player to fail. And if you put him in a situation where he plays with players that can't handle the way he thinks the game, well, then he's going to fail again. I just it, it absolutely baffles me. When, when coaches go out of their way to basically run a player out of town because 
they don't like particular aspects of their game. And it usually happens to young guys. I don't know why the rope for defensive errors is so short on a young player compared to a, a more experienced head. Being young and skilled in this league is not... It's always, death. It's not always a good thing. Here's the most frustrating part for me. You hear about play a 200-foot game, and it's usually a phrase you hear associated with offensively skilled players, right? So the implication is that they're not playing the, the, the defensive side all that well. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, you never hear about play a 200-foot game with the play-it-safe scrub who can't generate offense at all. Well, why why is the other 100 feet not applicable to that player? Why, I don't, why does it work that way? Right? Am I crazy yeah. here? Do you ever hear no. about, um, I don't know, picking on... Brandon Bolig, is that his name? Yeah. John Scott doesn't play a 200-foot game. Well, he doesn't play in any foot game, but that's a bad example. But pick pick a but defensive player. Like, okay, how about Brendan Morrow last year for Tampa Bay? They assume he's got leadership grit, yada, yada. I'm assuming they think he's more defensively responsible. But he couldn't play offense worth a lick last year. And where's his 200-foot game criticism? It's not there because it's this double standard that seems to exist and nobody ever calls this out. Some with, people do, but not enough. It's one of those things with coaching that a lot of people say that it's about risk aversion. Coaches are out there to make sure mistakes aren't made or to set things up so mistakes aren't made. As opposed to going out and winning a game, a lot of coaches try not to lose. And I, I think particularly with how Tampa are playing this year, if you have a look at the goals that they're scored and the goals against, they can't score at the moment. Cooper is trying not to lose games as opposed to trying to win them. And I think that's where you see the struggle in the production of the squad as a whole. And when you get into that mindset, um, any error is considered a bad one and I think it's more harshly criticised. And if you're young, it's easy to to smack down a, a young guy with no, I don't know, what do you call it, professional setting in, in the team at the time. So here's the biggest pro. Like, I could see it if, like, you're talking about a player that, yeah, he's you can see he's offensively gifted, but it hasn't translated yet, and he's not quite great in his own end. That is not applicable to Jonathan Druin because uh, Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockey PDO cast had a very good tweet uh, the other day that I actually used in my blog, and that said Jonathan Druin is tied with Henrik Sedin, Pavel Datsuk, Jakub Voracek, and Jordan Eberle in the 5-on-5 five five points per 60 since entering the league. So, come on. So he's hanging with a bunch of scrubs. I mean, really. Come on. What's the point of having great talent on ELCs if you're not going to use them? Why, why draft it? Why, why draft that kind of player? And you've mentioned it before, that ELC is the best way to balance out a roster. 
the cheap. They're cost-controlled, and you've got them through the draft. You haven't had to give up an asset to acquire that, that cheap talent. It, it's you look at um, look at Pattern on uh, in Chicago. God, he's young good. talent. Yeah, young talent. He's not super current. young though. He's twenty four. Yeah, I suppose it's bad he's, he's KHL. But like, how did he slip through the cracks this long? Because he's outrageously good. I mean, come on, of all teams to get that guy, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. mind you, we're, we're just finishing up watching Chicago Pittsburgh, which. Um, First half of the game was kind of a little bit slow, but uh, then it kicked up into high octane, uh, just really fun hockey. The three-on-three was just ridiculous. Uh, And Panarin just, what a tremendous talent. I mean, how does he not, not, how was he not on anybody's radar? It's just it happens. Players slip through the cracks. People seem to blame 30 teams but if if 30 teams can't find him then it just happens sometimes it's no one's fault you can't get there and it's like when players fall down the draft and fans of of teams go oh how did you not pick him you pick this guy instead it's easy to get blinded by what your team's specific need is at the time or you just happen to see um you happen to see a couple of bad games of that player and you, you cross him off your list. It's it's not impossible to miss players. So back to your point, why draft him in the first place, um, I think that plays into his frustrations as well. Third overall, he sees his former teammate, Nate McKinnon, doing great things. Sees Alexander Barkov drafted ahead of him doing great things gets to play with the auger seth jones elias lindholm isn't doing great things but he he's playing every game for carolina sean sean moynihan rasmus ristolainen nichushkin max domi uh who else is in this first round if you have a look at if you have a look at those players that you, you're listing off so to me it feels as though they've all been put in situations to succeed They've been given that opportunity to do well. And I don't think Druin's ever been given that luxury. It's like they've gone for the the tough love and it's backfired on them famously. Yeah. I understand Jonathan Druin's frustrations. Uh, I know some people think he's just a whiny, what have you done? You know, they play into he's some kind of malcontent player now because he's asked for a trade but I mean look at some of the guys that are playing ahead of him I mean even like Ryan Callahan why, why is he playing behind him we know why and I, I think that that rightfully frustrates him like just because he's young doesn't mean like the idea that young has to prove more than old I, I'm not a huge believer in i think you're playing well you're playing well he's he's done fine i mean you've heard the names i listed off for his offensive production right i mean like those guys are scrubs i i guess i don't know i suppose i suppose that the next point of call here really is what happens from this point on like how do they go about uh, building the bridge so that he wants to stay 
or how do they go about getting value back? Because this is this feels like to me it's going to end up like Boston and Dallas if they're not careful, and they've got the Stamkos issue on top of that as well. And that issue is that tied into the coach as well? Hints are that it is. Hints are that. Stamkos isn't happy with how he's being utilized as an asset on the ice. Um, so, but... Tampa, awesome run last year. John Cooper gets his kudos for that. And it, how much of it is John Cooper actually being a very good coach, or how much of it was that kick ass roster that couldn't really be screwed up? Or the triplets line sort of coming out of nowhere to be the dominant first line of that team and not being a good second line. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Stamkos... Yeah, they took over the Stamkos line for crying out loud. Yeah, and and that can be part coaching, part play development, all those sorts of things. And Eisenman's decided to commit to Cooper, likes what he does on the ice, and obviously agrees with how he handles the playing roster. So... um, if it is going to be a coaching issue, Eisenman's tied himself to, to that ship, so they're either going to sail off into the sunset happy or they're going to sink to the bottom. That's the reality of it. So we talked offense with Jonathan Drouin, which was good, and I'm looking at the last three years as far as possession on Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at forwards. He's the fifth best got a Corsi 4 percentage of 52.7. How much of a liability could this guy possibly be? So does that come back to Drew and attempting to do things in wrong spots on the ice and you have that um, recency bias where you go, holy crap, that was an egregious error. We can't have that happen again. Like you think of the you think of the detractors of Chris Letang um, and Eric Carlson, those sorts of guys. The puck's on their stick all the time. They're going to make errors and because they're creative, they're going to make some egregious errors at times and, and cause goals. It feels to me as though Druin's errors um, are ones that stick out like dog's balls, and therefore it's easier to criticise him for it. If you've got the puck 54% of the time going towards the other team's net, um, I think you're doing okay, particularly when you consider some of the positions he's been put in. Alright, i got another one for you. So we're assuming like Oh, he, he must be doing some things defensive. Like, Corsi against per 60. So the amount of shot attempts against him per 60 is 49.7, and I'll give a little context to that. Out of the last three years, out of any of Tampa Bay's forwards that have played in at least 70 games, he's fourth best. So you can get, you can understand why he's gone. F this, I want out. Like you sort of sit there and go, I don't know what else I can he's do. He's not bleeding shots. He's creating, and he has tangible offense. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. Like I don't know what else he can do. Um, I don't blame Alan Walsh coming out and saying trade him now. Like well, you that, said, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen without player consent. <laughs> no, no, I know that. But 
they quietly did it in November, said, come on, either utilize him or trade him. And then instead of getting that done, because it might be really hard to trade for him because what Tampa Bay are wanting back, don't get me wrong, but then to get there and dump him down to the minors, I get why they come public. I, I understand that. What would they want? I, I, that's that's the next question. It's like if they can't build the bridge and get drawn back in the lineup and, and, and being happy to stay, what do they get back? Like where where do Tampa need a fix for a player that realistically coming out of their lineup was a third or a fourth line winger? Because that's where they were utilizing him. So that's not what you're trading for. Another young winger? And who's going to want to give that up? Depends on, I guess, the team. Maybe, since they're not using Drew in anyways, maybe they'd be willing to take on somebody else with a high ceiling that's a year away or so, as opposed to... Um, you know, somebody that should and could be playing right now, like Druin. Yeah. And this is where the Tyler Sagan trade is a great warning in this situation. Yeah, but this Boston... one's past the point. Bruins never had to... Sagan was never asking out, at least... No, I've, but I've Boston put that. it out. That's the thing, like... But that's a whatever... big difference here. I don't think Tampa no. wants Druin out. They just thought they could slow play him at their own convenience without, you know, any repercussion. And, you know, that's clearly not the case. I mean, Tampa can hold on to Jerome. He's an RFA. He's under control. They could just bury him forever. Don't know why they would do that, but they could. That's true. You're right. It could happen. And they might want to do it that way. That's a good point. I just, to me, that would just be a waste of an asset on a lot of levels. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that plays well with, you know, in a cap world, everything I read that his teammates seem to think he works hard, does the right thing. Good teammate. Yada, yada, all that stuff. Um, How does that play in the locker room? Treating him like suppressing him down over a grudge. You know, you do get there and, and look at it, and, and it. You'd love to have those candid, off the record conversations with coaches at times, and it's like, what is it exactly you're expecting out of Druin that is making you put him in these situations, and you're putting these players in situations ahead of him? I, I suppose that's all you probably want as a as a player. I mean, I, I get why Stamkos is jacked off as well because he doesn't feel like he's being utilized to get the most out of his abilities. Um, and you, you see a lot of players in a massive variety of sports that are the same, that feel that way. Um, I know that that's all I ever asked for, was for a coach to go, here you go, Cameron, you do this, and you'll succeed. That's all you ever want. And Drew is probably the, you know, the most recent example of a player feeling like he's not had that luxury, not had that chance. You know, Brandon Sutter definitely thought he wasn't put in a situation to succeed in Pittsburgh. Why did you bring that name up on this podcast? 
I just felt like it. <laughs> um, you know, like, I don't want to get super specific with offers because you just don't know, but like, Kasperi Kapanen, congratulations to the young fella. One world uh, junior championship in overtime. One gold for Finland. Goal, yeah. Um, he's probably not super close. Well, he's probably a year or two off from being a regular NHL contributor. Like, is that the kind of player? I just that's kind the of thing. flop, you know? Like, I just don't. I don't know. Like, you don't know what the open market value for Druin is in regards to what the expectation coming back is, but also what the expectation of the team asking for him is going to give up. Like, I don't. I don't really know what they want, Tampa, and I don't really know what teams would expect to give up for a number three draft pick who, for all of those outside of Tampa, thinks being underutilized. And everyone says, everyone says you can see the ceiling, you can see that it's very high, you can see that he's, you know, top quality talent, but what do you give up for potential? I say, um, selfishly from a Pittsburgh point of view, I, I try offering two different deals. I would have no problem offering up Derek Pouliot and as a central figure, which, now mind you, Tampa may not feel that that's good no. enough. I'm just saying, Pittsburgh only has a few bullets to fire. I, I would throw <laughs> Daniel Sprung in that too. I would have no problem having a Daniel Sprong-centric deal for Jonathan Druin for this for the lone reason Pittsburgh is in this quote-unquote win-now window. Jonathan Druin is NHL-ready now. Doesn't have to deal with that fucking CHL transfer agreement. <laughs> and he's a left winger, and the Penguins, quite frankly, are not good in that spot. With, with, would you do a Sprong Pouliot for Drew and straight up, or would you want a second round? No, no, round? no, no, no. Those are two like separate. separate. They'd be the two separate individuals. And I'm not saying that's good enough either. No, but, but those are the bullets they have to fire. No, you can't do both. That's that's silly. I Tampa, just, Tampa, I just would, Tampa would take that in a second. Why wouldn't they? Well, I just I just wonder whether that's what Tampa. The, the reason I ask that is that. What a tamper asking. That's the, the problem. And I, mean, I don't know. But like you said, they're, they're not handcuffed by this at all. They've got all the control. I mean, they're handcuffed in the sense they screwed up a third overall pick who's been playing pretty good for them. They should be just keeping him and playing him, but they screwed that up. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a really big mistake. And back it's to funny. the um, John Cooper thing. Uh, Marty, Martin St. Louis did not exactly leave on great terms either. Yeah, but did he not leave because of Eisenman and the Olympic thing, or was it with Cooper and the way Cooper... I, said, I can't remember how that washed out in the end. Fair point on the Olympic thing, but he did go to the Olympics. He does have a gold medal. Um, that, you're right. That was probably um, the central piece, but like... 
you know, you're chasing off. Okay, so even if it's not just Cooper, Eiserman's there. Yeah, you're no, chasing off your exactly. your your best franchise player of all time, right? St. Louis yeah. the guy for that. Am I wrong on yeah. that? It's not like NBA. Who is the no. franchise guy? It's St. Louis, right? Uh, yeah, I would, I would chase say him that. off. Um, Stamkos, I just don't see him coming back. It's 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 one of those things where if they keep Stamkos all the way through, it almost feels like this is a one and done. They have to make the playoffs this year and, and get to the cup finals again or win it all. Otherwise, it will be looked upon as a, a bit of a waste because there aren't exactly a lot of free agents coming out that you can use to try and, for quote-unquote, moneyball Stamkos' production to keep you successful. You know, yeah, you might get the cap space that Stamkos was either going to demand or just leaves, but you've got to be able to replace what he gives you. And he gives quite a lot. It's not just his goal-scoring output. I think they have to they have to trade him if his extension's not signed and and I'm not so sure that that's not the the right move anyways. No, you get great assets yeah. and the money freed up. Uh, they have great young four. Well, Jonathan Drew and stuff throws a wrench in, in a little bit of that, but. You know, that's not anti-Steven Stamkos, but he's going to get one of those deals where you're paying a lot of money, and most of that money is based on past performance. He's going to get eight yeah. years from Tampa if they sign him. It's going to be $80 million. Are you it, really it going to get me, a return on that? It, it feels to me there are definitely teams that are starting to work out that you don't want to pay the big contract on that uh, on this particular contract, you know what I mean? Like the 27, 28-year-old contract. Some teams are starting to work out you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. And it'll be interesting to see where that cutoff is in the timeline in regards to um, teams locking guys up earlier so that they avoid the situation that Tampa have got and avoid the situation that LA have got. Both those players deserve to get paid what they're going to get paid. Um but it's diminishing returns in regards to the output that the teams that have got them are going to get. You've got to weigh that up with how well you utilize your cheap talent when they're on their ELCs. And, and Tampa Bay, I think, have screwed the pooch on, on this one. Mm-hmm. Man. Fascinating stuff, though. It will be really interesting. you got a contending team. Two high-profile parts that probably going to be on the move at some point. Um, a goaltending situation that they could save. Even, now, Ben Bishop's played well this year, but we've talked about Vasilevsky giving them cap relief. So, Eisenman's got a chance to make himself look really, really good here or really, really bad. Or he could just wash out that he makes good move, bad move, good move, bad move, and everyone goes, meh, he couldn't really do much more than he did. So it will be fascinating. The trade deadline will be fascinating um, for Tampa because they're a little bit like Pittsburgh, I suppose, in that they're floating around that 
area, just outside the playoffs and not quite in. So, do they make a desperation move, or are they just go? They're in the right the... division, though. They they are, but I mean, it's not the Pacific, but <laughs> no, it's it's certainly not the Pacific. That's very very true. Is there anything else to add on this mess? No, not really. No, I thought we covered it. I'm going to check the uh, Syracuse Crunch schedule, though, and see if Mr. Druin will be coming to Rochester anytime soon. Oh, sling down that way and have a gander. Drive 10 minutes to the rink and uh, watch the old podcast topic in person. (laughs) Rochester and Syracuse play like a million times a year, so they'll figure that it won't be... (laughs) <laughs> when you when he's down there, that'd so be right. Oh, Sunday. Hey, there you go. Ah, shit. Wife's birthday. That ain't happening. Yeah, probably not. You know, I talked about this guy on the podcast. Sorry, gotta miss your uh, birthday dinner. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. If Druin makes it to January eighteenth. It's a Monday. I'll go see him. That's the next time they come. So. Yeah, well, I'm interested to see whether he's down there or whether he's even still with the organization. What if he doesn't report? <laughs> well, he was supposed to report today because it's Tuesday your time, so... Oh, he must have. Yeah. That would have been something. I oh, know. That would have been very interesting. All right, so... That's that. <laughs> Fascinating, yeah. but that's that. Uh, Fancy Cats, 10 in a row, Jammer Jagger. Um, yeah, that's a fascinating story, too. It's it's just nice to see a, a young, talented roster come together. They've got good balance, I suppose, in regards to they're not all kids. They do have some some older heads and then some older heads again and then some grandpas um, playing for them. And it all seems to be working. I mean, who was the guy that constructed most of the first Chicago – well, basically did construct the Chicago Cup? I think he's running this this Florida franchise now, isn't he? Dale Talon? Mm. He is. I think he's kind of – He's a hit-and-miss GM. He's a little bit like a, a Rutherford in that regard. Because you got trading for Yager, trading for UC Okanen, drafting Barkov, um, all good. But then you ha- and then you look at their cap, and the highest paid forward on their team is... Take a stab at it. Oh, the guy from Chicago. The guy from Chicago. You're right. Dave Bolin. <laughs> That's the one I was going to say. Five and a half million. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I mean, they've got, they've, they're going to have to keep... They can't let Campbell walk. Surely they're either going to re-up him and cop the problem of, of the cap hit, or they're going to have to get something I don't know. Something if they keep winning, they're not going to move anybody. So they'll just they'll just take the pain at the end of the year. But the problem is, 
they may be fool's gold. Yeah. In the sense... Okay, so the 10-game winning streak, 50.7 score-adjusted Fenwick, and which isn't terrible, but you're not going to... I mean, it's not the norm to win 10 games in a row when you're splitting possession. possession. That. What's their PDR? I think you 1069 during that stretch. Is that is that high? Yeah. So, have you got the breakdown in regards to is that safe percentage or shooting percentage that's up there, or are they both high? Oh boy! Really you know, making, you know what I'm asking. Yeah, I know. You're really making me work here. I know. This is why I, I do the podcast with you. It's actually 1073. Jesus. Okay. And the on ice. Shooting 10.6, that's high. Yeah. On ice save percentage is 967. And that's now that's high. unsustainably high, but Luongo is playing great. So, like, the, but the that's thing, probably going to continue in the regards of he's going to continue to play well. Yeah. Shooting percentage, 10.6 at a team level, yeah, that's pretty high. So that both of those norms are going to – both of those are going to have to – fall back down to the norms um, as such. But, I mean, if you're going to get quality numbers like that with El Montoya actually playing some of those games in that 10-game stretch, then... Um, El Montoya, boy. You know what I mean? See the backup? Yep. I haven't heard that name in a while. Nope, but he's he's played a couple of games in there and he's, he's played well, so... True story, when it, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't making it up! I know you weren't, but... It... <laughs> Sorry, Al. Should have never doubted you. Uh, it's it is it is one of those things where when things click, it, they really click. I mean, the thing with the Washington Capitals this year is that everything sort of clicked for them really well, and they've just been so consistent with what they've done. It's nice to see um, the Florida Panthers have it sort of all click. I mean, there was Barkov that broke his hand, wasn't it? He he was hurt. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but he's come back into the lineup, and it's it's no um, no coincidence that with him back in the lineup, they've reeled off ten in a row. Everyone sort of slots back into the the lineup where they should be and where they can succeed, and, and I think that's really important. It's one of those things with with injuries at times where if you lose key players, all of a sudden you're asking somebody else to step up into a role that most often is larger than what they can they can fulfill. So it's it's good when you get someone like Barkov back, everyone sort of slots down to where they should be and, and, and plays the role that, that they can handle. Care to guess who's leading them in uh, points per 60 at even strength this year? Uh, with the way the question's asked, uh, J-squared. UC Okanen? Oh, mullet man then. Yeah, it's Yager. <laughs> Got you though, a little bit there. Smart ass. <laughs> um, UC Okanen second. He's That's... such an underrated player. Yeah, hindsight's a son of a bitch. Pittsburgh signed Dupuis and Kunitz at the same time they let Jokinen walk. 
And Jokinen's sitting at 1.91 points per 60 this year. And as we know, Dupuis has retired, unfortunately, due to those blood clots. And Chris Kunitz is sitting at 1.03 points per 60. So... I understand. The thing is, though, like as much as we bag out Shero for those signings, I understand why they were made. I don't agree with the process behind it happening, but I get it at the time. He yeah, but, wanted. To... But you look at a team like Chicago; they cut bait all the time. Yeah, no, no, but that's the difference. I mean, it's one of those things where um, you look at the tenure of, of Shero and Bosma in Pittsburgh, right? You go, they've now got jobs elsewhere. Have they learnt from what they went through in their time in Pittsburgh, or are they just going to do the same thing and make the same errors? So, you know, the next two or three years with Shero in, in Jersey is going to be interesting in regards to whether he's grown as a general manager or not, because they're errors that you need to learn from. Care, care to guess Yamir Yager's points per 60? Uh, 1.95? 2.2. Jesus Christ. He's the man. <laughs> yeah, well, we knew that already. 17 even strength points this year. Man's a machine. He's going to be 44 in February, I think. God, he's older than me by a mile. He will be 44 on February 15th. And what will the Panthers do? He's an unrestricted free agent. I think he's enjoying himself there. Well, with the few taxes he has to pay, he can go to the casino more. There's no state income tax in Florida. Uh. Um, But boy, I'm... I'm always going to be sucker for Yager Watch. I need him back in <laughs> Pittsburgh. They can't. Why are you talking? Look, that's a topic for the off season. No, because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen this year unless the fancy cats absolutely fall apart. It's not happening this year, anyways. Even if they do. But that off season, I tell you. <laughs> I'm going to ramp that up again. <laughs> and he's going to play till he's 50. Yager Watch 2022 is going to happen. Um, who's the last grandpa to play this far? Would you say Chelios was, was this good this deep into what he was doing? Uh, that's a good one. I don't know if... Um, my, uh, how far back does that start Chelios, go? Chelios played till forever as well, but... It just feels as though his production dropped off a little further than what he's, you know, Chelios was fantastic. So when the production dropped off, it was dropping off from a high mark. But I think it's tougher for defensemen to, there's less wiggle room, I suppose, for defensemen to hide when they're underperforming as opposed to forwards. And, you know, they are smart enough to know when to go and when not to. Can't do that as a defender. Look up Chelios. Okay. Oh, wait, oh, not. He was <laughs> winning Stanley Cups with the Red Wings at playing 70 games. Oh, seven, oh, eight. That last year with the um, Thrashers, they only played seven. That's why I can't find uh, any numbers for him. 
I'm going to... Because I'm curious. Now you got me wondering if he was confident or not. Sorry. <laughs> you can keep talking about something else very interesting while I figure this out. <laughs> I don't know if I've got something else very interesting to talk about. Um, yeah, you've thrown me there. Because from him, are we going to talk about Montreal from here? Um, hey, hey, going- the good one. We can segue back into Chelios. He was a former Canadian. Geez, that's a stretch. <laughs> You're, <laughs> right. You're right. You're definitely not wrong. Um, but Montreal is going through a rough patch from a win standpoint, but I don't think they're playing all that bad. No, this this feels different to previous years in that it was just ride the best goaltender in the world. At the moment, they don't have the best goaltender in the world, but their processes are right. So it'll be really important for them to, to stick with those processes, get price back, get the saves that they're not getting and still win. I mean, Brendan Gallagher coming back has, has obviously been an important addition to, to the team. You can see that they look, they do look different on the ice when he's in the lineup. So it's, it's one of those things where you may not be able to quantify what some players bring to the team uh, for attitude and composure and, and, you know, intangibles. But the difference with Gallagher is that there's actually a tangible effect with him on the ice. And I think that's the the differentiation between a good locker room guy and somebody that can also produce on the ice. And, and I think it's really important for general managers and coaches to, to understand what that difference is. Yeah, I think... Um... I think they're getting a little bit of bad luck going on here. It happens. So their score adjusted Fenwick since December 3rd is 52.9%. Their record since December 3rd, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 3 and 12. Yikes. 52.9% is good. They're three and twelve. What's the PDR? It's got to be super low, is what I'm gonna gather here. Let's That's the, sort of my nine sixty one. Super low. And I would almost suggest that most of that will be from the goaltending, although they are strugg- they are struggling to score as well, though. So it might be a reasonable combination of both, but the. Goaltending is not – it's not even that – you don't expect it to be Carey Price good, but it's been below league average through that stretch. So, um, once again, stick with the process. Um, understand that the areas that you're falling down um, are not style of play, but more so um, a ra- rather important position in goaltending. Um, it looks as though they did realise that because they brought in Ben Scrivens to try and fix it, whether or not that will. Yeah, they're at uh, nine – 90% save percentage, 900. At even yeah. strength, 921 is yeah. league average. So that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of shots that are getting through. 6.1% shooting percentage. So What's that? 8. So see, both, both parts of the game have dropped off there that are variables um, outside of what you do in regards to having the puck. So... Stick with the process. Know that the talent will will end up turning it around shooting-wise and know that you're going to get the best goaltender in the world back. 
And they're still in a playoff spot. They went through a terrible run there. They've lost the, the lead in the division, but they're comfortably in a playoff spot right now. They're not going to spiral out. They're not going to Toronto it. They lost the league lead to the 10-in-a-row win team. Yeah. So it's it's just so funny, Montreal. Last year it was bad team, insane goaltending. This year, goaltender gets hurt, actually playing better. And... Boy, if they hold on and don't fall off the pace too far, this year they may be a difficult out. Oh, very much so. It's, it's Hey, look, you and I have, have ragged on Michelle Terry in many a time in regards to what he offers and provides as a coach, but credit where credit's due. It's definitely a different, a different attitude with the team in regards to what they're doing, and it's it's been beneficial for... Um, a lot of things, they've just not got the wins for it, but it's it's not from those changes. The, the lack of wins has come from factors that are really outside of what Terrian can fix. He can't take the shots, and he can't save the, save the shots. So, you know, well done. Yeah, they got to chill out and understand that, and, and maybe they do. But... I think firing Terry in now would almost be, you know, a little bit unfair. I don't think you can. I I don't think you can. I give him credit. He's not had to be fired to try and metamorphose into something else. He's managed to do it whilst in a job. He hasn't had to sit down after being fired and go, oh, what do I need to change? It looks as though he's gone and done it now. So something I've not seen another coach do. But speaking of that 1986 Stanley Cup Montreal team and Chris Chelios. Oh, what a callback. <laughs> All right. So um, the two years when Detroit was just obliterating everybody and somehow did not win two cups in a row. Mr. Chelios had a Corsi 4 percentage of 50.2, which... On the surface, you think, hey, that's not so bad. What's his relative? His relative's pretty negative because those yeah. teams were so good. Brian Rafalski was the uh, best possession defenseman for those two years over Nick Lidstrom. Take a guess. 59. 59's an absurdly high number, but you're off by five. 64.1. Wow. Lidstrom was exactly at 60. Brett Lebda, 59.1. Cronwell, 58.8. <laughs> I mean, that team. How the Penguins beat them, I have no idea. 64.1%. Brian, that Brian Rafalski retirement out of nowhere really kind of screwed them. Yeah. yeah. But that shows you the variance you can get in a seven-game spread. No, but like Rafalski kind of retired out of nowhere. Oh yeah, that's yeah that that, that was a tough pill to yeah. swallow for them. I mean, sixty four point one. I'm almost gonna extrapolate that past Detroit because I have it just as a, a Detroit um thing. Yeah, he's the best in the league. Yep, that's I mean, ridiculous. 
that's that's spending two thirds of the time you're on the ice, the other end of the ice. You don't have to be great in your own zone if it's only in there one third of the time. Yeah, and after that stretch, because I I looked up the 07 to 09, that 2010 Olympics, he scored goals left and right for USA. Mm. And then I think he retired at the end of that year or the year after, something like that. So, there, did my research. There you go. (laughs) So if you look at Jaeger wrapping it all the way back to where it started from, it feels <laughs> as though Jaeger is positive relative to his teammates as opposed to Chelios who ended up rather negative to his teammates this long into his career. So just trying to put into some perspective how ridiculous Jaeger has been in this situation. Jaeger's at 59.9% this year. That's ridiculous. 43 years old. Yager Watch 2016 coming at you. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the team you want to Yager Watch for. And where he came from. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Pittsburgh. How much stats aside, I know we do a lot with the stats stuff, and I hope we don't bore people with it. I think we try to do an okay job with it to where it's not dry. But stats aside, how much more entertaining is this team, Pittsburgh, to watch than it was? Oh, ridiculous. And you get there and you say that, and if you draw it back to the numbers, all of their possession bars are higher. Like, the, the puck is in the other team's zone more often. Um, they're keeping the zone more often. Um, they're playing defense by by having the puck. Um, it's just it's much more enjoyable to watch. It'll be really interesting to see how it looks tomorrow. To playing Chicago, you know, back to back situation for the first time in forever. So great game tonight, though. It was. It was. It was really good fun. I, I think the one thing that frustrated me the most in the game was overtime in that the refs didn't call any penalties. And I'm talking both ways. Um, Too many men on the ice. Malkin being held behind the net. Um, Yeah. And the ref just said, keep going. You actually could see him gesture, just skate through it. And it's like, what's the point of having skilled players if you're not going to allow skilled players to actually skate? And it's just, it's a little bit embarrassing that... um, the too many men, I don't understand how they ignored that. That's a cut and dry, that one. Um, but that the whole style of play that Pittsburgh played, much more enjoyable to watch. And their willingness to want to go out and win a game, as opposed to try not to lose, I think that's probably the biggest change for me. Yeah. it's it's It really has been night and day. And I just brought up numbers. And then bring him up again. Uh, Mike Johnston's score adjusted Fenwick from October to December 12th when he was fired, 48.4%. Mike Sullivan, since that day, in all the games he's coached, which has been 10 compared to, I believe, Johnston in that 28 range, 55.3. Only Anaheim has been better in this stretch. 
I think the more important thing for me is that Latang, Crosby, Malcolm. We could have a whole podcast on Crosby and Latang and how and, great they've been. Yeah, but if you have a look at the key guys that this team is going to have to get on their back and have them carry them through to the playoffs, all of their possession numbers have increased. The excitement level when those players are on the ice has increased in regards to just being a fan and watching. Um, letting the big horses ride and do what they're good at, who would have thought that they'd actually improve their output? <laughs> right. Okay, so Sid and Latang were two players drastically underperforming this year, right? Oh, yeah. So... Points per 60 at even strength. Crosby was at 1.6, which, you know, a lot of players would take that, but Sid, yeah, is, that, not that's Sid, not Sid. Um, Latang was 0. 0.7. Uh, Jesus. Well, you have to consider he he's a defenseman. It just so, feels so the scale's point. lower, but, but that is low for, for him. That's with Johnston. So Sid goes from 1.6 to 2.4 under Mike Sullivan, 2.0 is first line level. So he's just back to being Sid. Chris Letang's at 1.9. That's a high-end second-line forward, let alone a defenseman. Yeah. And Phil Kessel has gone from 1.4 to 1.9. So all these big name guys are are doing great the weird one is Malkin going from 2.0 to 1.0 um that doesn't concern me as much because he's Malkin he's coach proof he's a freak (laughs) he's still producing on the power play like an animal and if you watch them tonight at even strength, I mean, even against a great team like Chicago, they have to do their very all to, to prevent him from creating at five on five. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things with Malcolm in, in this game in particular. Um, like you were saying, Chicago doing all they could try and stop Malcolm from creating anything got to the point where Malcolm was creating himself because he kept stealing the puck. Like that was how Malcolm got himself open or created for his teammates in this particular game was he couldn't sort of get anything going, but he would steal the puck in opportune situations and locations on the ice and create something out of nothing. Yeah, he might not have been able to finish or even get a shot off at times, but you get there and go, I think for me that's the difference between Malkin and Sid is that Malkin's just physical size, so his range is what makes him uh, more of a threat defensively. Um, and that's what he has to rely on at the moment, while what you'd say traditional offensive output routes are sort of drying up for him. So my assumption is that he'll get back to that, that two-point average pace for a stretch here somewhere. I think Chris Letang has 20 points in his last 19 games or something crazy like that. That's like Eric, oh. Eric Carlson stuff. But he's not a he's not a he's not a Norris caliber defenseman, Gunnar. Come on. Well, he hasn't been for half the year, but he certainly is a Norris caliber defenseman when you know he's, hey, he's if, playing at this if, level. 
if Eric Carlson can win it for having a, a ridiculously good back end of a season, there's no reason why the tank can't either. Well, the problem is he's chasing that man, Eric Carlson, who may end up scoring 80-something points. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Like, and he, he is ain't there, catching him. And he is their most valuable player. Like, that's the reality of that Ottawa team. He is their most valuable player. He may be the actual MVP of the league. Yeah, I've got no argument with, with that as a, as a thought process. You know, Which, it could end up... It should not great, like, but... It should almost end up like Carey Price in the... There's a Norris and a Hart Trophy going to Carlson. Oh, the Norris is his. Yeah. I don't know how anybody could argue that, but um, Chris Letang has been outrageously good lately. And they need that to happen. When he's out of the lineup, they're screwed. They're like 1-7-1 and one this year. Hey, that, like I said to you before the podcast, that third period, he was out there every second shift. You know, at the end of the second, the Penguins defender that had played the most was Lovejoy, and he didn't see an awful lot of ice time in that third period because they just kept rotating on Tang every second shift. Man, they it play was, Lovejoy too much. They do. They do. And it's because they obviously like He's not what, doing bad. I, I, I just want to say that. I give him a hard time. He's not playing bad. It's just he's limited. He's playing in a role that he – he's playing in a role above what he can provide. He shouldn't be a second-pairing second defenseman. That, that's just the reality of it. And the reluctance of the coaching staff to um, split up a pair that have been considered – um, successful from the previous regime um, might stunt uh, Dumoulin's ability to perform at a better level. And that's probably where I look at it, is that I think Dumoulin's got a little bit more he can offer, um, particularly jumping into the rush. He got burnt jumping into the rush uh, on the first goal. Didn't help that the forwards didn't come back and, and cover for him. But Lovejoy's inability to read the play and skate well enough to not put himself in the position he did, probably has Dumoulin thinking twice about pinching a little more often. Brian Dumoulin, I, um, man, what out of nowhere, pretty good. He's, his, he's been really his, good. His progression this year is what a lot of people hope the progression of Pouliot would be, and seeing as Pouliot is high, a uh, higher skill, um, you would hope that you'd have got a higher production out of him. But Punished again for that whole 200-foot thing. Yeah. Oh, we've gone over that. Stance. No, I'm just but, saying. I mean, yeah. that, again, but another no, skilled young guy. Brilliant example of, of Dumoulin being given the opportunity to work through deficiencies. Admittedly, Dumoulin is older, but in regards to his NHL career, he was still very, very young and very, very raw. And and he's probably saved the, the defense in a sense in that if he wasn't in the lineup... Jeez, where would, where that... would they be if he wasn't playing good? Correct. Oh my, I mean, oh, oh my God. We're in that situation now where no one is clamoring for Clendinning to get into the lineup. And that's because Trevor Daly has provided what Trevor Daly should, which is a quality puck-moving defenseman at a third-line level third parent level and when they paired Latang and, and Daly uh, at the end of the game just trying to get the puck moving that whoever the forwards were looked fantastic 
Daly's self-confidence in whatever it is he provides is amazing. He has no trouble pinching because he knows he can get back. He's more than happy to try something in the offensive zone. The the change, and I'm not even trying to compare him against Scuderi. I'm just comparing him in regards to his attitude on the ice. Coming in with Mike Sullivan allowing the defenseman to pinch has worked beautifully for Daly. Like Daly's not without his flaws, but I mean, Scuderi to Daly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I. There's actual offense being generated. Uh, the puck gets passed to the point. You may actually get a guy making a play, getting a shot to the net, as opposed to just jamming it on the wall. Um, it's been a, been a real nice change of pace for Pittsburgh. As far as the entertainment product goes, though, how much better has it been to watch? It's been great. I mean, Chris Letang tonight... Generated forty shot attempts when he when he was on the ice. That's Didn't incredible. Didn't fifty eight? No, sixty eight. So there were only twenty eight other shots when he wasn't on the yeah, ice. Go look around the league. Teams, teams in general sometimes only have forty shot attempts at even strength. I think Nashville was thirty eight today. Chris Letang on the ice for 40 shot attempts against the Chicago Blackhawks. Only 21 against as well. Monster tonight. Goal, assist. Well, I have to admit, one of the complaints that, that you and I have brought up with Letang is his inability to actually get shots through to the net. He's been doing it. He's been getting them through. Like, he used to take an awful... And he's not whacking out that slap shot, is he? They're the sort of half slappers or the wristers. So it's like he's, he's listened to whatever advice... The coaching staff have given him, and he's taken it on board, and Horace, he's reaping the rewards. Or he's listening to the podcast, you know. Oh yeah, definitely, most definitely listening to the podcast. <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, how about the Crosby goal tonight? That does not exist without Chris Letang's insane one-man skating breakout that he weaves past Patrick Kane, who actually, Patrick Kane's not known for his defense, but like, if you go back and actually watch the goal highlight, Patrick Kane gave a good, solid, sneaky poke check that Latang just fired through, cut back, cut again, and backhand pass to Perron, who gained the entry and immediately knew who was behind him with speed, left it on the forehand, and Sid sniped Crawford. But without, any, without Latang, none of that happens. No, it's it is funny how it is funny how that works for because you look at um, primary assists like Latang would only get a secondary on that, but he was the primary reason that that whole event occurred. But you also have people tracking uh, controlled zone exits through skating and all that stuff, so. That's, I, I, that's valuable information too. Like like I asked you at the like before we did the podcast, I, I look at David Perron and the off season will be really interesting to see if if the coaching staff and the management of the team are actually taking stock of, of what Sam Ventura is offering in regards to advanced statistics because David Perron 
at the moment is doing everything but scoring. He's contributing to so much offensive um, chances that if they let him walk, I would be very disappointed. It's not going to be a popular opinion with some. No, because his tangible output has, has been a lot less than you would like. He's shoot, either shooting wide or hitting crests of, of jerseys at the moment. That's the reality. But he's doing everything else. He can hold the puck and then release the puck to allow anyone skating by with speed to, to take off with it. So his contributions are, are much larger. But at some point, he is going to have to start producing or he's going to get the Chris Kunitz predicament, which is... Yeah, you're doing great, but you can't run shotgun in the city if you're not going to finish what he does. Yeah, you're 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 right. I feel the same way. I, I feel uh, Perron deserves his uh, criticism for not having tangible offense. Um, but I will say this about him: since Sullivan came on, his score-adjusted Fenwick is fifty-nine point one percent. He ain't playing bad. No, he's just not finishing. And, I mean, that's the thing with Kunitz as well. Kunitz is not playing bad, but his history of, of not producing is just so much longer than Perron's at the moment that, um, uh, and you've said this, you can't work out why he's lost his hands, but he has. Um, I still see his mind churn, though. He doesn't yeah. just chip and chase right away. He skates it, skates it, skates it. He, he weaves his body. You can see him trying to buy time to make a controlled play. His body's just not letting him do it. It's frustrating it's to see. I, I really think that he's trying to do the right things and it's just not happening. And it's disappointing to see. He's he's older now. But it's not like, gosh, I'm going to take flack for this because he's been putting up some goals. But, like, could Patrick Hornquist just once show me that, even though Kunitz can't do it anymore? Like, can his mind just think that once? Look, it's the thing that's frustrating me with, with Hawkins, particularly in this game, was that he would get to the he would get to the offensive blue line with no speed, and then he'd have players skating by him with speed, and then he'd dump the puck into the wrong fucking corner. <laughs> like it's it's not even it's not even like a, a, a puck dump isn't always an uncontrolled entry. No, you Dude, can. Dump, it's geometry. Yeah, but to, to just dump it into the complete opposite corner or to dump it really hard around the boards where when your guy is skating down the same side as you and it's just going to wrap around, it's like, why not dump it to advantage? Like, I went nuts the other day when Don Cherry is like, oh, you advanced set scores, look at this, you dump the puck in and look what happened. It's like, yeah, because he dumped it to a guy chasing it with speed and he was always going to get to the puck before the before the defender could get there. Yeah, that's it's a like, pass. Exactly, and it's like Hornquist is in so many chance, so many positions where, yeah, he's got to dump the puck, but just think about where you're dumping it to. Give your teammate a chance to actually collect the puck and do something with it, and that's probably the one thing that frustrated me the most about Hornquist in, in this game is that Chicago did a really good job of taking away Pittsburgh's speed through the neutral zone for large chunks of the game, um, and, and Pittsburgh had situations where they were barely in Chicago's uh, defensive zone for sections, and they couldn't get clean dumpings. They, they didn't think about where they were dumping it so that someone could collect it, and I suppose that'll be the next progression in in dump players 
dumping the puck in, he's working out where to dump it. In fairness, no, like I didn't want to really go there in this podcast, but uh, he, he he's been better since Sullivan's been on. Oh, he has. He, he's, he's generating more individual uh, shot attempts yep. and and that stuff. Uh, so he deserves credit that he's playing better. I just don't like the the the, the thought process, the mind. I just don't see the, the wheels turning for controlled play with him. And that's a big thing for me. So that's going to be a tough hurdle for me to get over. But popping popping him on the third line with a guy like Connor Sheary, who can skate and collect the puck if you give him a chance, technically should work. But you've got to dump it to a situation where Connor Sheary can go and chase it down. And, and like... Moving him down to that third line, his numbers have improved. It's like Sullivan's managed to work out where players slot better. I think that fourth line will be a lot better if they get um, Wilson back in the lineup and, and toss Porter. Um, but that'll be a conversation they might not have to have soon because Bo Bennett will be back in the lineup and technically everyone should shuffle down and Cullen will probably end up back on that fourth line. Yeah, it's tough to rely on Bennett. I get it. <laughs> it's frustrating. But like you said, ride him while you got him. Ride him hard. Yeah, run him into the ground as soon as you get him back because if he's going to be out soon, get get what you can get because he played well under Johnston. I'm actually very intrigued to see what uh, Mike Sullivan does with uh, with Bo. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing... Uh, I would put him on left wing with uh, Gino and Kessel. I've got no arguments with that because the other argument you've got is you can put him on the right wing and move. Um, well, no, I was going to say put him on the right wing and move. Hang on, I thought Kunitz was playing right wing. No, he's left. Left with Sid. Oh. See, I'd like to keep Perong with Sid. And I would push Kunitz down onto the same line with Malcolm because I know that they've played well together. Oh, I'm fine with that. Uh, Brown yeah. being the left wing, Bennett being the right wing with Sid. Yeah, that, that's that's probably where where I would I would like to line the team up after I, that. Uh, I'm I'm with you. Because we, you could I throw. I think we're cooking with some gasoline there. Yeah, because everything else sort of falls back into the lineup where you want it. Like, Matt Cullen is okay doing what he's doing, but that's a pinch thing. You don't want that to be the regular. So throwing him back down onto that fourth line gets rid of that argument of who of Wilson or Porter or Plotkinov do you put in the lineup. Plotkinov's doing everything but scoring. And as a fourth line, I know that you can get there and say, well, that was what Craig Adams and Max Lapierre used to do, but the puck's up the other end of the ice more often than not. He's got to do better, tangible offense-wise. But he's, yeah, not, a li- he's not a liability. No, and, and that's probably the big thing for me. Like you He's could a say good fourth-liner. I'm not going to go anything past that. No. He's a good fourth-line player. That's I'd not like... what they signed him for. No, but... but... Hey, you got a good fourth-line player? He's on an incentive-based contract, and he ain't going to hit him. So that's no. Good. So in the end, they pay for what they've got out of him. That's the bonus of that incentive contract. I mean, I um I wouldn't mind seeing Nick 
Benino get off the schneid as well. I mean, he does good things, but he needs to start producing some tangible offense. So I think the difference for me is that the big guns on the Penguins have finally been given a chance to let loose and um, is going to cover up for that lack of depth scoring at the moment. But there will come a point where they do go dry, and that's when the, the depth scoring needs to to step up. I remember writing an article on the lack of depth scoring the Penguins had last year, and I considered depth scoring scoring when the big guns didn't score, and, and obviously that having a big impact on, on being able to win games, and it just wasn't there for Pittsburgh. So that's when I want the third and the fourth liners to, to score, either to score to break a tie or to score when the big guns aren't scoring, that's when you're contributing, not scoring the fifth goal in a 3-5 game when you get the empty netter. That's not contributing. No. Um, I guess, you know, lastly, talk a little bit more about Sid. Mm-hmm. Goals in four straight games. He's got five goals in the four games. He's got six goals in the last six games. And he's got 12 points in the last 10 games. He's kind of back. It shows you, though, how well, I think... It shows you how good City is as a... As a Players coach. You know how everyone's saying he's a coach killer? Yeah, the opposite. He he bought into the nonsense that wasn't working and and yeah. and, and put aside his personal success yep. because the coach thought the team the coach had a vision for team success and he's like, Okay, I'm doing it. And now yep. the new coach is like, Okay, we're changing some things and hey, Sid Sid again. Yeah. So coach killer's bullshit. We always uh-huh. knew that. Yeah. But it is a funny narrative to see it's like I don't think Ovi's a coach killer either. He tried to buy into a system that didn't work. If anything, coaches are Ovi killers. Well, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. You, you do have to get there. and um, I don't think you could ever say Ovechkin looked like he was going it on his own when he kept being asked to do something different. He just struggled to, to make the change. And say the same thing about Sid. Got asked to do something different. Got on board, did what he was told, results weren't there, coach changes, and all of a sudden um, the results are there. I mean, Pittsburgh, this is the problem that Pittsburgh have with going through that one and nine skid or whatever it was that they went through. Um, it's great that they're playing better, but if they want to make the playoffs, they've got no wiggle room. They kind of can't afford to come away from tomorrow's game with a loss. They can't come away from these four points with only taking one. They just don't have that wiggle room anymore. I'm being completely honest. I didn't have them pegged for any. You thought they'd lose both? Against Chicago? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Back-to-backs are... Back-to-backs are an anomaly in this situation for me. Sorry. But they played well tonight. They actually controlled the flow of play against Chicago. And... um, you know, I think they certainly have a chance to win tomorrow. Yeah. Getting the one point was nice. They could have got well, either team could have gotten the second point at any time uh, during that overtime. Three on three is so draining when you've got a horse in the race. 
three on three with those two teams when you have a horse in the race is heart attack time. Yeah. Like I, I actually, when that goal went in by Penarin, which was a great shot, you sit there and you just go, oh, crap, I'm exhausted. I didn't even do anything. I was just watching. Like it, it is, if you get the right teams, it is quite exhilarating. Pittsburgh, you're right. I've played a few OTs where it's a bit blur, but um, if, if Pittsburgh can lose games in overtime or in the shootout, they're going to be better off than just losing them straight in regulation. So um, the trend over the next five to six games will be will be really important for them. They're going to have to start hitting that that Metropolitan Division very, very soon. They play a whole stack of games against the Metro and winning those games or coming away with a point will be critical in them getting back into the playoff race. Well, they, um, Chicago tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Montreal Saturday. Yep. And then they have uh, the next week, Carolina, Tampa, Carolina. So Carolina being two Metro uh, yeah. opponents. And they, and they can't afford to lose. Like, they can lose the Tampa one, but they can't afford to lose. They can Either they, Carolina one. I mean, come on. No, I get, I get that argument, but their possession numbers actually aren't that bad. They're not as bad as their results are, are paying them out to be. It's just, as it's always been the last couple of years, it's just that goaltender that Jim Rutherford signed that seems to be their, their big problem. Um, but they have to win every game against a division rival, um, and if they're going to lose to a team, lose to a team that's below you and at least lose it in overtime. Because that's where they're going to make up their points, is beating their division. Because they've struggled against their own division the last couple of years. First Flyers game's the 21st. Geez, that's late in the year, isn't it? Yeah, they haven't played each other yet. Should be fun. Well, there's the Rangers. They've barely played them. I mean, they've played Washington twice, I think. So do they play everyone in their own division four times? I don't know how they even do it anymore. Great question. I'll get back to you on it next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a really big chance of, of climbing the standings. Yeah, because they are playing better hockey. So they just they have to get tangible results on the, on the standings. Otherwise, it'll all be for naught because they'll be trying to do a trying to do a, um, an Ottawa Senators deal, which is win a ridiculous amount of games at the end of the year, and it just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, with no Hamburglar. Well, you know, maybe they could try and find a Burger King guy or something, I don't know. No, you're, you're right. I think it's four times. Uh, but they don't play the Rangers until February 10th for the first time, and then they play four times from the rest of the year on. Yeah, sorry. You know, beat the teams, beat the teams in front of you in your division, so you can gain points on them. Um, in in a way, it's a blessing for them if they're playing well and they got divisional games. Yeah, you know, no, this is the thing. Like it couldn't have. Um, it's worked out well with the way the season started for Pittsburgh, having the division divisional games later in the year. Yeah, really, now that they're improved. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does give them a chance to have a lot of four point games and and, and win them. I mean, if they lose them, then. You know, they obviously don't deserve to, to, to make the playoffs, but it at least gives them a chance to be in a situation where you're winning and you're catching as opposed to winning and getting nowhere because those divisional rivals of yours are playing other games and winning as well. Mm-hmm. 
Now, do we have anything else we would like to discuss this week? Um, no. I think we're good. Alrighty. Well, let me begin our shameless plugs, and <laughs> it'll be the week. At Walshy66, at Gunnerstall, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Those are all Twitter handles. HockeyHertz.com, HockeyBuzz.com for my Penguins articles. Um, iTunes, rate us, please and thank you. And donations always accepted uh, on the podcast page. Please. Anything else? No, that's it. Just thanks for listening. Have a have a good new year. Hopefully it's all positive and uh, everything goes your way. Seems like a good note to end on. Uh, thank you as always for listening and we will see.